Now, take your Bible and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 11. Chapter 11, in verse 1, it talks about a temple being built. A temple that is going to be given over to the Gentiles. So that means that the temple has to be built, and the temple is going to be built. There has to be a peace treaty made with Israel, giving them the right to the land to exist as a people and to rebuild their temple. This hasn't happened yet. This is why some Christians get all excited when they decide to move the embassy to Jerusalem, because we believe that's going to be the central point of where the temple has to be built on Mount Moriah. And so it has to go in that direction. And so um, something's got to happen to make these nations want to have peace. Something is going to drive them together for this purpose. So in verse 1, And there was given to me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Forty and two months is how long? Three and a half years. This is three and a half years. This is going to be the pouring out of God's wrath upon the earth. Now, he prophesied this is what was going to take place. You'll find it mentioned in the book of Isaiah and Hosea and other places. And uh, it is the time of Jacob's sorrows, the troubles of Israel. Because remember, even though Israel has been scattered for the last 2,000 years, they had made the statement, let his blood be upon us and our children. And buddy, it has. And so the Jewish people have been hated for the last 2,000 years. But God says they'll come back to the land. And they have. Because how are they going to build a temple? How can you make a peace treaty with people that don't exist? But they are back in the land. And they are a nation. And uh, we are living some very interesting and exciting times. But that day is coming. And so there's these 42 months of three and a half years that's going to be given over. See, the first three and a half years, Israel has promised peace and safety and so forth. And they'll believe this lie. And people will believe the lie. So when you get to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, there is the consequence because he says, this day cannot come until, first of all, there is a departure and the man of sin is revealed. He's revealed here in the middle, not at the end, in the middle. But he can't do this until this happens. So everything is laid out perfectly. Now, since we've got that far, understand this. There's also going to have to be, in chapter 13, if you'll look there real quick. Chapter 13, there are two beasts that comes up. One comes up out of the sea of humanity, and there is a beast that is a political head. We often think about a one-world religion and a one-world government. Well, this will be the one-world government where All the nations get together. They want a one-world government, a global government, because if everybody worked together and we only had a one government, who would you fight with? See there, doesn't it make sense? It will make so much sense. And therefore, you don't have to have all these little nations. Why? Because you don't need borders. Now, you haven't heard anything about that. But you see, if everything's a one government, you don't need borders. How's it working over there in Europe? Not doing so good. And Trump is right when he says that without borders, you don't have a country. 
Anyway, when you get right down to it, don't they have security guards around the White House? I wonder why. I wonder why there was a wall around Jerusalem. Hmm. The Bible also talks about the wall of Jericho. What did they use these walls for? For, for protection. There's nothing wrong in having walls. But anyway, there's a, another sermon in there somewhere, but we won't go there right now. So I want you to look there in these verses that talks so simple about what's going to take place next. See, now, here in the 12th chapter where we began, you'll notice in verse 7, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought in his angels. Verse 9, and the dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So that's how we know they're all the same. Which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So there's going to be all this, and God says, when this happens, here, and you'll notice I got a little black line that goes up there, and that little black line goes all the way over there. Well, look who it goes to, the devil. The prince of the power of the air. And he comes down, and he is going to manifest himself in his own man. You see, we talk about Christ as God was manifested as the Son of God. Well, Satan's going to have his man also. And he's going to be the worst person that this world has ever known. He'll be the greatest liar, imposter, deceiver, and he, he tries to give you the image that he is the real Christ. That's why Israel will be deceived and make a peace treaty with a false antichrist, a false Christ. Not a false antichrist. He will be there. Now, during this period of time, Satan is going to unleash his fury upon this earth. And so when he does that, who is he going to unleash it upon? Who did he make the peace treaty with? Israel. And this is the woman, and this is where all the nations are going to be gathered together. Zechariah, in chapter 14, God says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And all nations means all nations. All nations will turn against Israel. And look at that little sliver of a country over there and all the world against it. And unless God intervenes, nobody will be left alive on this planet. He says that, and that's in Matthew chapter 24. You get a chance to read it. Don't do it now. Do it later. Now, next I want you to see is a scripture found here in chapter 13. The one beast, and then down in verse 11 is the second beast. This is the religious head, the religious political system that will give power unto the political system. So the religious will cause people to worship the beast. And all this is going to take place because if everybody was of the same religion and of the same governmental philosophy, think of all the peace you'll have in the world. It'll be the biggest demonstration of dictatorship that the world has ever known. Because the Son is going to pour out His anger. God the Father is going to pour out His wrath. And you've got the devil going to pour out His wrath. Wouldn't you like to be here? That's why God hath not appointed His children unto wrath. We're going to be taken out before this. See, the seven years has to be seven years because it's part of the 70th week of Daniel. When Christ died on the cross, that ended the 69th week of Daniel, and there was one more week left, and that week had been shoved into the future. But when the church is taken out, 
like a parenthetical expression in a sentence, it doesn't hurt the flow of the sentence at all. It can come right together, and that 69th week will flow right into the 70th week as though the church age never existed. So, anyway, take your Bible now and turn to the book of Revelation in chapter 15. We're real close here. Look in chapter 15 in verse 1. This is telling us what's about to take place. So he says in verse 1, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the, and you ought to unline these three words, the wrath of God. God is going to pour out his wrath from the middle to the end of the tribulation period. And you'll notice also, he's talking about his judgment, but look down in verse 7. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, or bowls, full of the wrath of God who liveth and abideth forever and ever. See, God has not forgot about planet earth. God sees what's going on with all the nations and all the individuals in the world. And God is going to pour out his wrath. In other words, the wickedness of man has caused God to be mad angry. And he says he's angry. And God is upset. And God is going to pour out his wrath upon this earth. So in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation, he's got these messengers and they blow their trumpet and they're going to pour out these bowls of judgment upon the earth. And everything that man has put between him and God, God is going to take care of. And you talk about global warming? Let me show you a little bit about global warming. Look what he says in verse 8 of chapter 16. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give God glory. And in verse 10, and the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. God's already told us what's going to take place. Now, I already know what's going to happen in the future. And I am so glad. I won't be here. See, where are you going to be? I'm going to be in heaven. But I'm going to have a ringside seat. I figure if he can tell me what's going to happen, he can show it to me too. But now notice what he says in chapter 16 and verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Now we're going to pour out these things upon the earth. And it says that wasn't going to be done until he had sealed the people of God in their foreheads. And it says not to hurt the earth, not to do anything. So now we're going to hurt the earth. We're really going to go after it. You see, you had like the table of contents, what's going to happen. The son then told you what's going to take place. And now the father, boom, he's firing his gun. And so as you go down through here, you'll see in verse 2, upon the earth. You'll see in verse 3, upon the sea. Verse 4, upon the rivers. And verse 8, upon the sun. Verse 10, upon the beast and his people. And in verse 12, upon the river Euphrates. In other words, God says it's going to be dried up to make way for the kings of the east because they're here, they come. 200 million soldiers are going to come across. I wonder where they're headed. Well, you get to chapter 19, you'll find out where they were headed. And it matches also with the book of Luke in chapter 17. 
when it says one taken, one left, one taken, one left, people say, well, that's the rapture. <laughs> no, it's not. They were taken to the battle of Armageddon where the eagle is there where the bodies be gathered together. In other words, it's going to be a great supper and everybody's going to have a little bit to eat. So here you have him pouring out, God pouring out his wrath. Now look there very quickly in chapter 19. Chapter 19, what's going on in heaven while this is going on down here on the earth? Well, up in heaven, see, we have gone to what we call the judgment seat of Christ. And God is going to reward every person who has trusted Christ as Savior and served him. And God is going to reward you according to what you have done for him. So, see, nobody has to try to motivate you. I don't have anybody motivating me for the last 58 years to serve the Lord. I'm motivated because I know what this book says. So if you study the Bible, it ought to cause you to want to serve the Lord because if you really believe all this is true, then that's true, the judgment seat of Christ. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. You don't do anything for the Lord, you don't get rewarded. You're the loser. You're not winning. If you don't try to study God's word and do all that God wants, you're the loser. It won't matter what anybody else thinks. It won't matter if anybody agrees with you, disagrees with you. It's not a game. This is serious stuff. What God said he's going to do, he's going to do. And so he says, there's going to be a, a marriage supper of the Lamb. But you see, we've got to get dressed. And your dressed is the righteous acts of the saints. In other words, whatever you have done for the Lord, God's going to reward you. Now, I don't know if I, how you're going to wear five crowns. I don't even worry about that. Or is there going to be any stars in your crowns? Or when you get to heaven, is it going to be because of the, the dress you have, the robe you have? I can't see me wearing a dress. But we're going to have robes. We're going to have something because the Bible says. Look in verse 7 of chapter 19. Let us be glad and rejoice. Wait a minute. Do you realize what's going on down here on the earth? Glad and rejoice. All that bad stuff going on. Yeah, but it ain't over. You see, we got some good stuff coming. And that's why even in life, you know, there's a lot of bad things you go through, but that's not all there is to it. What about all the good times you've had also? Haven't you had any good times? Have you ever laughed? Haven't you ever had any joy at all? No, my life was misery since the time I was born to today. You haven't had one happy moment? No. Well, you are pitiful. If you're that miserable, good. You ought to be that miserable. Because you didn't learn how to think and rejoice about the good things that God's done for you. He could have had all this happen and left me out. I'd have been mad about that. I'm glad that of all this, <laughs> he included me. I'm included in all of this. He thought about me. When he went to the cross, you heard that song? I was on his mind. I don't want to see how in the world I can finish all of this in the next 10 minutes. But we're going to give it a whirl. See down here in verse 7. He said, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Now, the Lamb, remember, now God the Father, he had a wife. And who was that wife? Now, well, that was Israel. And Israel had a son. So it's the Father's, well, he found the perfect wife for his son. See, Jesus, when he gets married, he has to marry a perfect person. Well, how's he going to get a perfect one? That's why when you are Trust Christ and believe he died for you. You're born of God. And John 6, 37 talks about it. And all that the Father giveth to me shall come to me. You see, God the Father is the one who gives you that perfection. 
You're born of God. And God's going to take all of us in the church age. We become the bride. And we are going to a wedding. Now, some people say, well, the church is not the bride. Yes, it is. And we're going to get married at the judgment seat of Christ. Then we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, look what he says here in verse 8. The wife hath made herself ready. Now, where she's dressed in the righteous acts of the saints, not the righteousness of Christ. That's how we got there. But you're dressed out and decked out in the righteous act. In other words, the honor and the glory that you have, I don't know the extent of all of it, how it could all be different. But God says it will be worth it. And then he says in verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now, and he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we believe there could be all these Old Testament saints that they get to come, and uh, they come to see the son take a wife. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And isn't it wonderful to know that we can be able to eat and eat and eat? I want to eat for a thousand years and not gain a pound. I don't know how it's going to work. I bet you there won't be no overweight people there. Or skinny as a ray. I think we're going to all look pretty good. Just think, every one of y'all are going to look better than you are now. We think. We hope. <laughs> Except who said something? Somebody said something. Somebody said something they probably should not have said. Lord, take away one of their rewards. Now, we believe that once you earn rewards, you have got those rewards for all eternity. Now, you'll notice in verse 11... Then Jesus comes down from heaven. See, where are we now? Well, we're here at the end of the tribulation period. Jesus Christ is coming, and every eye will see him. And then he talks about he's coming down in verse 11. He's coming back to judge and make war. This is where you have the battle of Armageddon. And all these nations that have come together. And God says up there in the plains of Jezreel, right outside of a place called Megiddo, there is a great big old plain up there. Not airplane, it's a plane. And God says he's bringing in all these grapevines and going to put them in this great big old bowl. And then he's going to stomp them with his feet. And the blood is going to be as high as a horse's bridle. Now that's going to be something. But that's mentioned up there in another scripture. We won't look at it right now. And you go down through here, and lo and behold, in verse 16, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus Christ himself. So we have about the work of the Holy Spirit. We have the wrath of the Lamb and the wrath of God, and it ain't over yet. Then the Bible talks about this judgment that's going to take place. And this is a judgment where those of nations, believers, get to go into the kingdom, and the unbelievers will be cast into hell. And there are going to be a thousand years, the Davidic millennial kingdom upon this earth. And Christ will be here, and he will rule, and we will be here. And people who come out of the tribulation period, and all saved will go into it, and all the lost will not. And this is why this is so very important. When we come here and during this, we will have glorified bodies. But the end is not over. Chapter 20, 
tells us that Satan will be locked up into a bottomless pit. And the Bible tells us that Christ will be here and he will literally rule and will sit in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the book of Matthew in chapter 8 tells us that they'll come from the east and the west and we will all see them. Wouldn't you like to be able to talk to all those Old Testament saints? We're going to be together, have a thousand years to sit around and talk. But God has, I guess, something for us to do. I don't know what all it is, but I know that God has all these things for us. And then he says, at the end of this is the great white throne judgment. And that's why you'll see there in the 20th chapter, it talks about the great white throne, which is right here. Great white throne. That's where God will judge the lost. Every person who has ever rejected Christ as Savior, that thought they could save themselves by their works, they will be here and will be judged by their works. And no man can be saved by their works. And so if their names were not written in the Lamb's book of life, which is the book that you were born into by the birth into God's family, then your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. So notice here in chapter 20, and notice in verse 15. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So if my name is in the Lamb's book, because I've been born into God's family, I got it made. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. That's the greatest peace of mind that anybody could ever have. But what about all the people who have never trusted Christ as Savior? You may be here and you've heard all of this all your life and you have not yet trusted Christ as your Savior. You're going to lose out and you're running out of time. But now notice what he says in chapter 21. He says this, And I saw a new heavens and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And he says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You see, I believe we're going to live in the holy city. God promised the earth, the new heavens and the earth. He made it to Israel. And in the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. But we're living at some of the most exciting time. And all of this, we're right here. And that event can only happen at one time. All these main events only happens once. But if I could be alive at any one of these... I want this. Why? Because there's a possibility I won't die. I have never died before. I just don't want to do it. Not that I'm scared. I just don't want to hurt. I don't want to take, go through that last breath. Are y'all the same way? Then we ought to pray for the upper taker. That's why he talks about looking for that blessed hope. This is the blessed hope. This is not the blessed hope. And some people are thinking, well, we've got to go into the tribulation. No, we don't. We're looking for Jesus Christ to come back and to take us out of this world. And yes, we'll get to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now look up here. If you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, now think about it. Don't you think it's a good idea to do that? To trust Christ? This hand represents you and me. This represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us, but he hates our sin. Always understand, God loves us, hates what we do wrong. But the payment for sin is death, eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven when we die. But we have to be perfect, no sin. And nobody's perfect. We've all sinned and come short of God's perfection. So God says you cannot earn eternal life by living a good life. All your good works can never pay for one sin. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. 
He came into this world because he loves us, hates our sin, because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, did not have to die. But he loved us, and he hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. And he says the only thing we have to do to go to heaven is believe he did it for us. That's so simple. That's so easy. I've had people say, you believe in that old easy believism? I said, what's this? He said, that's a pen. I said, no, that was easy. Believe hard. How do you believe hard? If you oppose to preach the gospel to every person throughout the whole world, shouldn't it be easy for them to understand? Go in the whole of the world and make it hard to believe. When you add works to it, that's what makes it hard. When you tell it's by grace, that's what makes it easy. Because it's free. And God loves you that much. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust him right now? Say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I believe that when Christ died, I believe he died for me. And right now, I will trust him as my only hope of going to heaven. Friend, would you do that? If you're watching by internet, right on the screen it says, yes, I will trust Christ. I appreciate you letting us know. But if you're here in the auditorium and you've never trusted the Lord, if you will accept Jesus Christ right now as your Savior, would you let me know? I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or answer me out loud. I just want to know if you'll just slip your hand up very quickly and say, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. And put your hand right back down just very quickly. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Father, we do thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for the word of God that you've given us. We pray that these things would help and challenge and motivate us to serve you. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because you reveal these things to us for a purpose. Lord, we know that life is short. Eternity is long. And hell is hot. Bless us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.